Well, good morning. Um, today we're going to be in Mark 8, uh, for those that love to read ahead, actually verses 22 through 26. We won't be there right away, but we'll get there in just a second. Uh, here's what I want you to hear this morning, and don't take this personal. Or well, it's all right if you do. Um, Jesus isn't done with you, so stay close. Now, dealing with unfinished projects, you don't have to raise your hand. This is just an internal. Who in here are project, don't raise your hands, finishers, just internally, don't elbow. Like, are, are you the type of person that you start a project and you, you, just, you just keep knocking it out until it's done? Or are you the type of person that starts lots of projects and your house is littered with unfinished products? projects. Um, I use my garage as a hiding place for all the projects. So if you come over to my house, you very rarely go into the garage. But if you were to go in the garage, uh, even though we cleaned it out last weekend, it is now has other stuff in there, um, which is just great. Uh, we've been um, doing some work on our kitchen and our house has been a wreck. And I'm, uh, I like to get it done. I don't like things looming over my head, so this feels like an eternity that we've been working on painting our kitchen. Um, but we had people over Friday night, so we hid as much of the work in the garage as possible. So this morning, what I want to kind of deal with is the opposite side, not just the, you know, the practical side of, hey, there's things in your life you should probably get taken care of, projects around the house, mowing the grass, doing stuff. Um, that needs to be done, and not putting those things off. I want to talk about uh, the spiritual side of those unfinished projects, which you are one of them, whether you know it or not. And so I believe that today's text, God wants to deal with this side of us that is okay with enough of Jesus' healing, enough of Jesus that you're ready to go out and away from him again. You don't think that way, but we do this. We, we, we get broken, something's overwhelming, and we come to Jesus and we're like, if you could just, I don't know how many people have prayed these prayers, but if you could just do this, Jesus, like I am yours, I will do anything you ask for. And the moment there's a reprieve, you're like, thanks, and you're out. And I want to deal with this reality that if we don't finish these projects that God has with us spiritually, um, we'll never live in clarity. Clarity is important. So as we get into that, I always, I even put it in my notes. I want to make sure to pray before we get into the Word because the Word is where the power is. Um, and as I've already prayed in the corner over there, um, we need Jesus to show us what He wants to say. So let's pray. Jesus uh, Lord, I invite you here. Not that you're not already here, but I want to publicly make an acknowledgement that we need you in this part of the service. As we hear your words, if we, as we look at um, your life in, in a healing that you participated in, Lord, I pray that you would give us vision to see. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to see that you've always meant for us to remain with you. Not to come in and get enough of you and run back out. But Lord, help us be a people that stay. That stand firm in you. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So right before Mark 8, you had Jesus feed 4,000 men. And this is just, I don't know, well, I know why they did, but they only counted the men. So there's multiple other thousands of people there. So when they say 4,000, there was a lot more people that were actually there. So this was the second time. And and you'll notice that the disciples had struggles with clarity. Because they'd already seen Jesus feed 5,000. And in, in our minds, and we sit in, I don't know if you're like me, but we sit, I sit in judgment of the disciples like, you dummies, he already did it one time. Like, you know, you know what to do. Just ask for some loaves and take it to Jesus and let him break it and spread it and it's going to be all good. But the second time there's 4,000 people and Jesus said, hey, we need to feed them. And they're like, oh, we should send them away. I mean, they don't get it. They're missing it. And so, of course, Jesus comes through. He feeds the 4,000, and just after that, they're walking down the road, traveling, and they're like, we forgot lunch. You know, 5,000, 4,000, the 13 of you, I think Jesus can handle it. And as they're thinking this, Jesus asks them, uh, or or tries to teach them, and they totally are clueless to it. Jesus tells them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of that false teaching that they were getting, that you you could uh, fix yourself, that you could do these things that, that they were missing here. And he's telling them to be wary of this teaching that's coming in. And they think that Jesus is telling that because they forgot Lunch. Clueless. I, I tell you, if it gives you nothing, let it. Let us have hope that Jesus will work with your insufficiencies. So here we go. Mark eight twenty two, And they came to Bethsaida. Now Bethsaida was home of three of the disciples, Peter, Andrew, and Philip. This was their hometown. Jesus... Um, was in this area, performed miracles in this city, which we'll talk about the consequences of that in just a little bit. So they're in a town that know Jesus. Um, And continue on, it says, And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. See, this is the second miracle on a side sermon that you can run with later. This is the second miracle that happened solely because of faithful friends. First one, someone's house got destroyed, or at least a hole in the roof. The second one, this blind man, it wasn't like the other, other blind man, Jesus had walked by, and they heard that Jesus was walking by, and they, they yelled out, help us, help us, help us. You know, they, they cried out for Jesus. This man was brought there to Jesus for a healing by faithful friends. And I think we've been a little spoiled when we hear about blindness, not that blindness isn't a bad thing nowadays, but we're spoiled by modern medicine. In the times of Jesus, there was cures for nothing. If you got a disease, you died from it or you lived through it. If something happened to you, blind, there was nothing, there was no corrective surgeries, there was no cataract removals, there was no medicine that could heal you from this infection, there was nothing other than herbs and, I mean, very minimal. But there was nothing like where we get some of the things that we get today. We can go to the doctor, they can give us a pill, and it can go away. We're spoiled. 
and blind and lame, and this is something we need to acknowledge here, uh, they were thought to be cursed by God. And because of this, no holy men would touch them, would get near them, because they didn't want that transfer. They didn't want to become dirty by touching these cursed people. They were outsiders. They weren't accepted into synagogues and into churches because they were considered unclean. And so the friends bring them to Jesus. And in 23 it says, And he took, talking about Jesus, took took the blind man by the hand. He touched him and led him out of the city. And when he had, now this is hilarious, and when he had spit on his eyes and lays, laid his hands on him. So he takes this man uh, away from the crowd, out of the city, which we're going to talk about in just a second. But he acknowledges this part by literally touching him, leading him out of the city. And then he did something in our culture right now of face mask and social distancing that make some people cringe. I mean, maybe before that, like, I don't like to be spit in the face. Not a big fan of that either, but he literally spits on him. And this is a blind man, so he didn't see the, the, you know, the beginning of the spit. I don't think Jesus hawked a loogie on him. I think he just took the saliva that was in his mouth. But he didn't see it coming until he heard the out of the mouth. And then the, I'm sure he's like, just one more thing? My man just spit on me? And then Jesus laid his hands on him. See, the blind had to be led by Jesus, and he took this opportunity to show compassion on him by touching him. And we don't know why he spit. I do know this, that Jesus, he he spit in mud a couple of times. There's lots of different ways that Jesus healed, and this is the conclusion of heat. We are a pattern people. We don't want to stay connected, intimate with Jesus. We want him to give us five steps to freedom and then we walk those steps out and then we're good. Jesus, which we learn all throughout the Old Testament, never wanted anything but a direct connection. That's why Eden was created. He wanted to be connected. I think if Jesus healed by spitting on people's face every time, we would literally, I mean, we would do it a little bit better maybe. We would have, you know, tarps. But you would come up front. You got an ailment? You got an achy back? Come on. I th- I, I don't, we would tell me, you wonder why people handle snakes. Because there's one verse in Mark, like, and they'll be known. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we are, we are people that do dumb things, dumb things. <clears throat> a, little, a little side note here. Clarity still happens when we get alone with Jesus. This is what happened. Jesus took him outside of the crowd, away from the people, outside of the city, and he gave him clarity. And Jesus asked him, do you see anything? This is the only miracle recorded in the Gospels that it took more than two times of Jesus doing something to complete it. Let me tell you this. I do not believe it was because Jesus wasn't powerful enough to make it happen. 
When you read things like this, and this is why we're doing this walking through the Word, why we want to be preaching things in the Word, because like literally this week, I'm reading it in my in my devotional book. I'm like, why two times? And I've preached this before, and I've read commentaries on this, but like it just hit me. And we should be looking as we're reading. That's unusual. It was intentional. None, none of these things happened in the life and ministry of Jesus by like, oh, like in our life sometimes it's accidental, but nothing that Jesus did was accidental. This wasn't accidental. And then he looked up, responding to Jesus when he says, do you see anything? And he says, and he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. His eyes were opened, but he didn't have clarity. Now, he was no longer blind, but because before he saw nothing, now he can see something. I think this is where most of us exit stage right or left. I don't know what side you're supposed to leave. It's where we leave. We're like, okay, it's not as bad as it used to be, so I'm good. And we walk our way running into things because we still can't see clearly. See, we, we sometimes do this, and I heard this, and this has nothing to do with the vaccine. That's out, so please, I'm not making a statement. But I heard an example when I was a youth pastor, is that when you get a vaccine, they give you just enough of it so you don't get the real thing. And I think Christianity is very similar to that, is that we get just enough Jesus by participating in Jesus' central things to never get the real thing. Because we feel comfortable, like we got enough of Jesus, and I'm just, I just have a hard time feeling that that's what God came for us to experience. Just enough. He wants us, and I don't know if you've seen themes in the last few weeks of uh, our, our preaching, but like he's not satisfied with your just enough mentality. Because he's never just enough. You have to have more. Don't settle for just enough of Jesus so you feel good about yourself. And we do it all the time. Like, how much money do I have to put in that box to feel good about myself? How many times a month do I have to come to church to feel good about myself? How many community groups do I have to go to? How many times a week do I have to read the Bible? How many verses during that time of reading do I have? I mean, think about it. Next time you're doing some of the things that you're doing for God, ask yourself, who are you doing it for? Because let's be honest, a lot of times we're doing it for us, me included. Pastors are not exempt from this issue. Actually, this is probably the destruction of most pastors that fall. Is It begins to be more about them and looking a certain place. And I think this is the issue with the Pharisees. They were more concerned about all these things that didn't matter. And not that they were bad things and evil amongst themselves, but they lifted them above Jesus. Verse 25. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus' goal for you is clarity. Jesus' goal for you is wholeness. And I don't want to confuse this because I, don't want, I, don't, I do not understand why some people get healed and some people don't get healed. But let me just tell you, 
in the Gospels, not every, I know it feels like everyone gets, gets healed. Not everyone gets healed. There's one story I love about the, the guy at the pool in Acts. He's surrounded by other people that are just like him, but he's the only one that walked away with a healing. So just because you don't receive a physical healing, if you're struggling with something going on internally with you, I want you to hear me not saying, hey, we stick close to Jesus so that he'll take this away from us. Because we learn from first, or 2 Corinthians 12, Paul asked that that thorn would be removed and Jesus just told him, my grace is sufficient for you. Side note. I think sometimes we hear this and we're like, we're going to press in until we get that healing. And healing for you might be heaven. But he, I'm sure, his goal for you here is clarity. Clarity. Because then, in the midst of the pain and suffering, you have enough clarity to understand that God still loves me. See, complete healing comes from Jesus. So we have to stay close to him this was a mark if you didn't know this of the messiah there's several references all throughout uh, the bible isaiah 29 18 is one of those and it says in that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see one of the marks of the coming messiah is that he would heal the blind so not only is this an amazing miracle for this man, but it is a proclamation for those that were watching this. That in what, what, did, what did Jesus say to John the Baptist's followers that came to him because John the Baptist sent him saying, are you the one? Or should we wait for another? Go tell him what I'm doing, which is a proclamation. Go tell him that the blind are receiving sight, which is ding, 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 ding. Yes, I am the Messiah. Verse 26, and I, I'm going to make some speculation off of this, and there's lots of thoughts on this last verse. And he sent him to his home, which is not in the village, based on the next part, saying, do not even enter the village. Okay, this is speculation on Heath's part. Okay, we all here. I think there's some truth in it. Just saying. Speculation. Maybe, because we see this a lot, um, Jesus didn't want people coming to him just for physical healing. Because he told people all the time, don't, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. It wasn't because he didn't want people to know who he was. He did not want a bunch of people following him just because they wanted that healing and then going away, getting that physical, they're, they, they're getting their sight and leaving. He wanted disciples. And we saw from last week when Jesus had to pe preach on the boat because there was so many people pressing in to get close enough to him that he had to sit on a boat in the water and talk to the people. So that's one possibility of why Jesus said, do not enter the village. This is where speculations get a little deeper. Maybe Jesus didn't want this man to return to his old life. It's getting thicker here in just a second. We're going to quote some Matthew. And maybe it was the unbelief of the city that he didn't want to stir back in to the man who received his sight. Look at this. Look at this. Matthew eleven twenty one. Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. 
For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Tyre and Sidon were pagan cities. Bethsaida was a Jewish city. And so maybe, just maybe, and this is, I'm, I'm, I'm stretching a little bit. Right before this, remember the leaven of the Pharisees? Don't go back into that city. And he tells this man at the end of his clarity, don't go back there. And I believe when God does radical things in you, begins to turn your heart to him, the most dangerous thing that we can do. And I see this in the 24 years of my life with Jesus, is to return back to the things that caused us all the pain before. Addiction, the TV, the, there's just so many things that, that in, our, in our time of clarity that we would never do, but when it starts to get a little foggy, when it starts to get a little darker, dark, we'll say, it's not that big a deal. See, this man wasn't the only one suffering from partial vision. We know from what I've already said with the disciples, they, they, they were missing it right after this. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to die. And what does Peter do? Oh, no. I rebuke you. And what does Jesus do? Calls him Satan. And I've said this, I don't know how many times in this room, it's a bad day. When Jesus looks at you in the eye and tells you to get behind him and refers to you as Satan. Was Peter Satan? No. But what was happening to Peter? He was not clear with what God was going to do. He was getting his clarity from some other source. He was like, Peter, you don't have the heart of God. They were missing it. And I don't know... Um, about you, but if you've read the Old Testament, here, and I, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, so don't like write me later and tell me how you made it too simple. The whole story of the Old Testament is God picking people. Out of all this group of other people, he says, you're my people. And most of the story of the Old Testament is, is his people being excited to be his people for a period of time. And then those people, whether a leader dies who was the spearhead of it, or they just revert back to their old ways, they would go back by their own doing into suffering and torment and whatever, and then what happens? They get to a low spot and they go, God, save us. And what does God do? He comes back and he saves them. And then what happens after that? They go away again. And what happens? God save us. I mean, you... And every time you feel like God has no patience, God has no love, read the Old Testament. And I know looking at the Old Testament, you're sometimes like, God is so mean. God over and over and over and over again would return to those people that were willing to stay with Him. Period. That's the story. And, and, and my one thing for you is Jesus isn't done with you. And if he's not done with you, you better stay close. 
See, Jesus with this man with partial vision, this is what we struggle with. When he can only see partly, everything seemed bigger and more overwhelming in those moments. And when we have partial clarity, when we kind of pull ourselves away from the power and presence of the living God, then everything seems bigger. All what's going, and I'm telling you, we've talked about fear a lot over the last few weeks. There's so many other things. The further we get away from that connected to Jesus, that power, because he's greater than the other, all those other things seem bigger. And so here, here's the hard part for what we're going to do. And I'm going to invite our worship team back up. Part of my concern with every message that I do is that it would resonate with you enough to make it resonate, but it would do nothing else. It scares me because I'm not here for you to go, hmm, that was good. Hmm, I needed to hear that. I'm here so that you hear, respond to the gospel. And stay connected. Because I don't want you just to get excited enough for it to get you through today. I want you to get excited enough for it to choose tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning for the next week and the next month to choose to remain connected to the Father, which is work. It will be the hardest. If, if marriage is an illustration of God's relationship with us, Let's just, if it is, which it is, he uses it all the time. How do you have a good marriage? You work at it. And if you don't work at it, you don't have a good marriage. And I encourage those that are married to work on their marriage because it is a direct reflection to everyone outside of your house of how big God is to you. Because you choose to show your love for your spouse like Christ loved you. It's work, and I want to inspire you to get connected. And this is why we push so hard for people to get connected into community groups, for people to get connected into mentoring groups and accountability groups, because those are all things that are continually going to point you back to this connection. That's where we want you. And so here's the question for you. Where are you suffering with partial vision. And the only cure for that is Jesus. So here's your work for right now. Is confess the partial vision. Because that man could have said, I'm good. I'm good. I can see. Because he can't see from where he was before. But tell God in these moments. Because he already knows exactly what's going on inside of you. Where you're struggling. Where you're not trusting him. Confess it here in this room while we worship and say, God, I want clarity and that means connection to you. Help me. It's the simplest thing that we do and that's what we do every day from now on. That's what connection to Jesus means. So we're going to pray. We're going to worship and I, I, I just ask you to ask these questions. Where am I content with partial vision and deal with it? Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you right now 
that in these moments with your word, we can see that you desire connection. You desire clarity. And I pray that nothing would stand against our continuing to fight for clarity. Lord, would you give us eyes to see that all the things that are destroying us, all the things that are eating away at our faith, Lord, I pray that we would see them for what they were what they are. Lord, I pray that you expose the lies that the enemy is using right now in our lives to cultivate unfaithfulness. And Lord, I pray that we can see them, identify them, rebuke them in the power of your name and stand firm with you. Lord, help us be a people that remain. Connected to you, the giver and author of life. I pray these things in Jesus' name.